There. This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello all, welcome back to another episode of Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Hey there, seems like I'm uh, quite disembodied. I'm more disembodied than usual. You're a little bit more disembodied than usual, and that's saying a lot actually. (laughs) And I've got quite the disembodiment. (laughs) I work on that disembodiment. Yeah, just don't... I bring it to the gym. Just don't do it on the floor. (laughs) Don't have have a... Don't have a disembodiment movement. <laughs> That's right. Bowel. <laughs> yeah. So tell them. Uh, wild stuff going on. Tell them where you are. I'm home. And I'm home. We're 45 miles apart. That internet is cool. Yeah, we're doing the Skype thing today because if you've been reading the blog, you know a little bit about what's going on in John's life. Why don't you tell him a little about it? Let me tell you a story. Would you? So. A few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, maybe seven or eight months ago, I can't remember anymore. It's been so long and crazy. I came home from work from um, from uh, driving for about an hour in the snow, and I get home, and I'm tired, and and my wife comes to the door and says, we've got a problem, and it's always a bad thing. That's like, for me, those words, for you, those words are like these words to me when people come to me and say, we've got to talk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, it was like Houston. We've got a problem. It was that kind of tone. Suddenly, uh, suddenly, John's Jim Lovell. <laughs> right. I was really looking forward to a nice, relaxing weekend too, because it was a hard week. And then <laughs> I go inside the house, and Rich knows this, but as you go inside the house and you go up on this little landing, you can see down into our finished basement area. There's like a stairway and a, and a halfway down landing, and and you can look right down into that living room. Well, it looked like this, a swimming pool was, was growing there. <laughs> I could see ripples of water. My entire basement was flooded. So uh, apparently um, when, my, when my wife and I went to work in the morning, the, the cold and, and warming that was going on over the past few days um, had, had made a, one of the spigots on the outside of the house break free from its, its joint. It was a PVC pipe. Um, and it was really close to the wall. In fact, it was embedded in the wall. So the wall filled up with water, and then it leaked inside the basement, and we had water running in the house all day long. <clears throat> so I'm anticipating a really good water bill when, uh, when it comes next month. Well, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright was sort of famous for building houses in and around their, the environment that the house would be built in. You know what I mean? Kind of like utilizing the environment. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, the. The most famous one is falling water. Falling water. And do you, I don't know if you remember the design, but the, it's built on the this sort of like waterfall stream. And he built a set of stairs that went down to just like this little small landing so you could see the water. Right. So you kind of had your own little falling water thing going on there on that little second landing. Yeah, but if we kept the water running in there, it would have been growing mold would have been the name of the house. <laughs> <It> <laughs> Frank, Lights, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's new design, growing mold. 
right? He he worked on a cantilever design. We're working on fungus. <laughs> well, it's just as strong. It is. It's it's strong smelling. So, and it ended up being where we we immediately called a plumber to come in, and you know, lo and behold, we had a a, a specific valve to turn that that water off, which we we lucked out. And I was also lucky that my wife is smart enough to turn the main line off uh, when she saw the water running. Um, but then we had a plumber come look at it and said, well, there's really nothing we can do until spring because they can't glue the PVC pipe on the outside. So so we ended up having to bring in some what they're called water remediation specialists, essentially a demo crew and with big vacuums and dehumidifiers and fans. They, they sucked up all the water. They ripped up all the carpets. Um, I could make this story as long as you want, but it was it was they came back one time to check the the humidity and they got these these devices kind of like tricorders that they hold up to the wall and they can tell how much water is behind the wall and in the structure yeah i've seen um I've seen that actually because norm abram uh whenever he wants to check the water content of wood to decide whether or not he wants to use it, he uses one of those yeah, it's pretty cool I don't even know what principle it works on, but it's 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 the um Normification. <laughs> it's the Abram method. It's the uh, Abram uh, exponent. It's it's triangulation. No, actually, <laughs> I, I just think it works on GPS. <laughs> it must. <laughs> That's why they launched those satellites, so that we can tell how much water is in my basement. <laughs> exactly. And, and to know exactly where your basement is for targeting. <laughs> it's true. So, anyways, they, they came back one time, and they said, you know what, these walls, these outside walls, the exterior walls that are... Um, drywall up against the the outside of the house um they said these aren't getting dry so they had to tear them down so not only did they tear the, the floor up they tore down the drywall and they stripped the the drywall down to the the bare cinder block so our finished basement is essentially it, they unfinished it is what they did um and if you've ever been through one of those things you'll know that if you have a finished basement um they have to put things places like couches and they had a you know, stand-up arcade machine down there, and everything's piled up, so everything was moved around, and it, there was a whole lot of damage. But they finally got it dry. Uh, we were living in a uh, a wind tunnel, literally for a week straight, because they had these two industrial dehumidifiers that were running with, and they set up like seven or eight of these fans to circulate the air so that everything would dry out, and they kept coming back every other day to to check the relative humidity, and and then they certified that it was. It was dry, um, and then over a week passed before we could even get an insurance adjuster out, and then he finally came out, and he gave us an estimate for how much money they were going to give us for all the damages. But uh, the bottom line is, if, if all goes well, um, this was actually not too bad, because we're thinking about selling the house, and we get a free new remodeled basement for the price of a broken pipe. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal, and, and if anybody out there hasn't figured it out yet, the John's finished basement is where we have been recording bloodthirsty vegetarians for the past oh year and three quarters well since its inception sure so now um i'm in studio c and he's he's miles above studio b in rock center live <laughs> from new york hey i finished that eight cd set long ago so i, I got to give that back to you that saturday night live uh books on tape thing you lent me yeah how'd you like that it was good really entertaining I, I come away from it knowing that I created Saturday Night Live and Eugene, or not Eugene Levy, that's that's later, and uh, Chevy Chase is a jerk. And, and Harry Garofalo. And Harry Shearer. <laughs> Harry Shearer is a jerk and Janine Garofalo needs counseling. 
Yeah, well, I pretty much knew that just from watching it. Well, I have some news. I have news. I have news. What's your news? I've, I've, I'm back in the country. I went to South America again two weeks ago, and, and I'm back. I, I didn't really talk about it before uh, I went. You know, I don't know why. He doesn't want those throngs of fans chasing him, tracking him down. Breaking into the house and stealing the recording equipment. <laughs> that too. Or, or, or chasing me to Columbia to uh, get my autograph. That's right, because, you know, he wants to just lead a normal life. He doesn't want that whole celebrity thing. He doesn't want to be hounded by the paparazzi. No, I hate that, because they chase you into tunnels and you die. Occasionally. Yeah. Speaking of famous people dying. Oh, well, there's an accidental segue. <laughs> Right. Rich comes back and finds out that Anna Nicole Smith, one of the most famous people on the planet, has passed on. Yeah, I was kind of blown away. I was I was at work yesterday, and there was all this news about Anna Nicole Smith, and I went, my initial reaction to her has always been, why is she famous? I mean, you know, she had the Marilyn look, and what else? Um, Could she sing? Giant, Could she? No. Giant breasts. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's what she had. Not complaining about those, but she's as dumb as a stump. So I'm wondering why she was news when she was alive, which leads me to the question, why is she news when she's deceased? Yeah, it's the way that um, I heard the news, it was pretty funny. Someone came on, I don't know if it was a news report or what, I can't even remember which television show I was watching, but they said, well, this just in, uh, the strange and bizarre life of Anna Nicole Smith has ended. <laughs> And that's pretty much it. I mean, she's just famous for being famous and weird. Yeah, I know you love those people who are famous for being famous, you know? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like this whole generation of new stars that we have, you know, on all these reality shows, Survivor and everything. My company went to a trade show in January and came back, the big NAM show, National Association of Musical Merchants, biggest music show in the United States, you know, like, I don't know, 12,000 vendors in six halls the size of Javits. Yeah. Except it's one big hall. <laughs> it's gigantic. And I, I don't know, some guy named Rupert apparently stopped by the booth. And when all the guys got back from Anaheim, they were all talking about how Rupert stopped by the booth. And I went, who the hell's Rupert? And hey, I guess he was one of the guys who won one of the Survivor years. He had a big beard or something. I don't know. You see, the, the, um, the reality shows that I like are the ones where people are showing talent. I may have talked about this before. I, I watch the shows like um, you know, Top Chef. Um, what's the one, Project Runway, where people are actually designing clothing and, and making things, where they have to have talent and skills. Top Chef, they know how to, they have to know how to cook under pressure and make unique food. Um, the ones where all they have to do is basically outsmart the other person or outmean the other person to get more camera time, out. I can't deal with those. Yeah, they outsneak them. Yeah. It's very calculating. Yeah. So... What else is happening? Uh, not a whole lot. Just had a great time down in Columbia. Ate some great food. Relaxed. It was sunny every single minute of, well, when we should have had sun, like during the day. It was mm -hmm. sunny every minute of daytime except for about 45 minutes or an hour when it rained one evening very briefly. But then we got the sun after that. I got a sunburn. It was unbelievable down there. Had a great time. Drank some wine. Got drunk enough to dance. <laughs> And that's saying something. It is saying something, actually, because Rocio kept asking me, you want to dance, you want to dance? And I was like, no, I haven't had enough to drink. And then finally I, I, my, my fuel gauge went to F, and I went, okay, <laughs> it's time to dance now. And I said to her, but I'll only dance with you if we dance up on, like, the high go-go kind of stand, you know, the, <laughs> the stands that are in, like, each corner of the dance floor where people go to, I don't know, strip or something. And she's like, is no, no. Is there a no. pole? 
No, there's no pole, but she was like, no, I don't want to go up there. So I finally dragged her up there, and we're dancing up there alone. And you know that the pop star Shakira? Mm-hmm. She's Colombian. Yes. And she's pretty big here, so imagine how big she is there. <laughs> well, I don't think she's more than 5'2". No, but she's a huge star in Colombia. And while we were dancing up on top of that go-go stand thingy, uh, the, the some a song that I had never heard of before, but it's called Hips Don't Lie by Shakira. You know, it's a pop song. It's a song and to grind to. She is known for having hips. Yeah, and hula, the real crazy hula moves. And I'll, I'll just finish this segment by saying this. The way American women dress to go to nightclubs is the way Colombian women dress to go to work. So imagine the way Colombian women dress to go to nightclubs. <laughs> So we're dancing up there to some song, and then Hips Don't Lie by Shakira comes on. Every Colombian woman in the place was, like, up there on that stand with us grinding, and or they were somewhere else dancing on tables. It was absolutely insane. This is a family show, Rich. I know, but it was fun. That's all you're going to say about that, right? And that's all I got to say about <laughs> that. Sounds like a good time. Well, it was a great yeah. time, and we resolved to get things happening a little more and get her over here in the U.S. and do all kinds of stuff. We have a schedule. We have a plan. Oh, great. That's cool. Yeah. So you want to play a tune? Yeah. But uh, before we do that, I just wanted to mention that, that Rich came back just in time for the, one of the largest snowstorms uh, we've had in years. That's right. My plane was the last plane allowed to land at Syracuse Airport the evening that the storm started. We got in there at about 8.45. We were supposed to land at 8.30, but we actually took off an hour late, so the pilot actually made up time. Wow. And there was a little a little bit of the snow happening, but visibility was fine. He landed, and then they closed the airport. And then we got that wicked nor'easter. A lot of you, are, I'm sure, are aware of it, especially if you live in the northeast, because the clouds covered up the whole northeast. Yeah, that's why they call it a nor'easter. Yeah, hence nor'easter. Yeah, and I'm actually glad that, because everybody kind of broke my chops and said, you know, you picked a great time to come home, but I actually think I did, because I would have probably been in Atlanta two more days had I not snuck in, you know, in the 11th hour there, uh, right before the storm. So I'm, I'm, you know, I just kind of wanted to sleep in my own bed, have some real food, and to do, have stayed longer in Atlanta would have been very stressful. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if you caught some bad wind or some updraft or something, you could have been, you know, in the tarmac because, man, we had some serious winds, some serious snow. And just a few miles north of me, they had 11 feet of snow. Not, yeah. not 11 inches, 11 feet. That's right, yeah. Crazy. That's like as tall as Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> or one of his kids. So we got a tune. It's a new band. We've never played them before, but I was introduced to them through some friends. So let's uh, let's check it out. The sin is lost, we haven't figured out where we're going. We like playing songs, we don't get along, and we know it. And you will find yourselves alone. You will find yourselves alone. And I've been thinking about building you up. About turning you on Cause it's a 
Yeah, that's a nice track. I dig. They've got an Oasis kind of feel. Yeah, they, they're kind of Beatles-y, Oasis-y. I mean, the Oasis was clearly kind of trying to do the Beatles thing, I think, to some degree. And yeah, this, these guys are called the Alarmists. They're out of the uh, Minneapolis area, I think. They're quite frightening. The, 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 why? They're Alarmists. They, oh, they're, yeah. They're very reactionary. Well, it goes without saying. Nice guys. They got a little EP out. It's got about six tracks on it. All of them have that kind of feel. I don't know why I picked that one, but I kind of like that one. But there's a lot of other good stuff on there, so we'll we'll play some more of the Alarmists in the future. What was that track called? New Romans. New Romans. Wow. That's a, a subject that's dear to my heart, Roman culture. Have you watched any of the new episodes of Rome? I have not. But Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. You You have them? No, I'm catching them on HBO as they are played live when I, I can. But I thought you got rid of HBO. Um, we did, but mysteriously it's still on. Oh, okay. 
it's one of those deals where in in our market if you've got a digital box um, the the digital line will will determine what you can play so if you subscribe to um, to HBO or any of the other paid channels the, they'll be coming through the box and the box will decode them but there's still an analog signal coming through the line and we've got another TV in another room that's just on the analog line it doesn't have a box but one of the channels that is part of the base service is just the basic HBO, the the original channel for HBO. So occasionally I'll watch some HBO movies or series. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll probably have to wait till it comes out on, on DVD like I did for the first season, but I'm really looking forward to it. I got a really interesting photograph. Uh, I think I sent you an email about a photograph. I thought I uh, might need some Photoshop work. Yes, you said it's going to need some uh, hackage. Yeah, and it's... It's a photograph of a Plaza del Toro, which is uh, a coliseum. <laughs> a bullfighting Benicio arena. Del Toro? No, it's a, it's a bullfighting arena, the Plaza del Toro. And, of course, it's derivative of the Roman Coliseum, but I took this. we were in this really small town, and it had a really cool little uh, bullfighting arena. And I found a, a hill up looking over, over it, down upon it, so you got the sort of circular feel of, this, of the building, and you could see inside. And it, I mean, it was sort of a, a Spanish colonial coliseum, but in very miniature form. Yeah, it reminds me of the movie Matador. Yeah, it, it was does. good. It was a great film. But anyway, I want you to have a look at it because there's something in the way that I want removed, and I'm not good enough to do it. <laughs> the bull? No, the, the arena was closed. We couldn't get in. I would have loved to have gotten in and been photographed with like a bronze Roman short sword or something, but <laughs> but it was closed, so I could only take pictures from outside. It was this really cool little town called Guadavita, which is... Uh, uh, there's a long story. I'll tell it on the next show. But uh, Rocio's father used to be a policeman there like 39 years ago, and they were so poor they used to sleep in the police station. <laughs> oh, wow. So he went and visited the police station, and guess what? When we got in there, there were two guys sitting down watching TV eating a sandwich. So it's good to know cops are the same everywhere. Well, if they had donuts, it would be perfectly exactly Yeah, it would same. be an exact analog. So what do we got for the middle? We've got for the middle? Well, you know, we've got this whole non-bindingness going on. I, this, it's sort this, of like uh, Teflon. It's like nonstick. Yeah, it's it's a statement for the sake of stating something. And and while I'm I'm cool with people making proclamations, I would really wish there was some meat behind this one. Well, tell them what you're talking about. Be more specific. Be add some specificity. Well, as we speak, because probably when this thing goes out, things may have moved or progressed. But as we speak, uh, Congress and is uh, debating this non-binding resolution. A couple of non-binding resolutions, actually. There's one in the House and one in the Senate. Uh, what they're basically trying to do is say to the president, we disapprove of your expansion of troops in Iraq. We disapprove of sending the 20-something thousand more troops to Iraq. And and that's... I'll say more about that in a sec. But um, But they also say that they support the troops. And that's literally all it is. They're just voting on a statement. They're not voting on cutting funding. They're not voting on limiting powers. Nothing. It's all just window dressing. They're, they're standing up and being pompous. Well, um, but the, see, I think this is an important first step because you've got to remember this is a, a freshman Congress. There's a lot of freshman Democratic congressmen who won, like our guy. And mm-hmm. I don't think you dive in head first. I think you get your feet wet first. I think they're trying to slowly take back power, if you will. Well, but th- this is one of those deals where, in my opinion, 
them standing up and, and making this non-binding resolution, which they keep harping on. It's non-binding. They're, they're making a point to say that it's non-binding. It, there's nothing, there's no consequence to it. it. It makes them look like they're wimps, like they're afraid to take a stance. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that completely. I mean, I yeah, at the end of the day, I would prefer they just passed a resolution that said George Bush was a, a, a big fat idiot. Or no, wait a minute, that's Al Franken and, and Rush Limbaugh. Right. No, I just would, you know, yeah, in a perfect world, it would be cool if they passed a resolution which denied President Bush all powers. <laughs> like, don't speak, don't touch that, don't even look at me. You're not allowed to use the bathroom without the hall pass. That's right. You know, you don't don't go anywhere near the button. You know, <laughs> but no, I seriously, I think because it's kind of a new Congress and they just won the majority back in both houses. I guess that'll depend on that senator who had the stroke. But um, yeah, I think they're kind of getting their feet wet and they're kind of just knocking them down one notch. And this is kind of the 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 warning volley. They fired a couple of shots past Bush's bow. <laughs> bowel? Is that what you said? <laughs> bowel. Again with the bowel. No, bow. B-O-W. Oh, okay. they, they fired a couple of warning spitballs past his nose. <laughs> yeah, well, the one thing I wanted to say about the 20,000 is in all of this discussion, they're saying that the, the, uh, the administration is playing down the number of troops that they want to put in there because the reality is they're saying 20,000 combat troops, but the estimates are for every combat troop, there's something like one and a half uh, support troops that have to go along. So we're talking about maybe fifty to 60,000 people who are going to be going, fifty to 60,000 troops that are going, but only 20,000 combat troops. That's a lot of people being added to this war. So the, the administration's downplaying it, and, the, um, and I don't think that the, uh, the Democrat, the Democrat majority, is, is, is really harping on that as much, letting people know what the... What, uh, what they're really being asked to do. So I think that that's also being missed, too. But the one thing I also want to say is that I am proud to see that uh, some Republicans are standing up and voting for this resolution, too. Even though it's non-binding, they're making a point to say, you know, we disagree. So this is not cutting strictly along party lines. Well, but, I mean, you also have to view the way these people are behaving by, let's, let's talk about, you know, this has become an unpopular war and Bush has become an unpopular president. If Bush were more popular and the war wasn't as unpopular, these Republicans would be sticking by his side. But, I mean, they're they're clearly looking at poll results here. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're making such a, a brave move myself. Well, it's – and as I said before, it's still non-binding, so they're really not being forced to do anything. But you know how those things work. If If you stand up and say, you know, I vote for this or I vote against it, then you, you make allegiances or break them. So – those uh, backroom deals may be more difficult. I think they're, they are putting something on the line by by agreeing or disagreeing w- with the president in terms of their own ability to maneuver on the Hill, but I don't think that they're necessarily doing anything all that important for the people in, in this country. Well, let, let's give it time. As I said, I mean, I would say stay the course. <laughs> Not <laughs> oh, Bush's course, but the Democratic course now. Because I think what what's what needs ultimately to be the result here is that you know, we need to start pulling our troops out of Iraq, but we also need to not escalate this Iran thing, you know? I, I don't think we need to be there. Yeah, you notice that bait and switch? When people are talking about this resolution and they're debating the resolution, suddenly um, all of this evidence comes up to say, hey, 
Iran is sending all of these uh, these improvised bombs or, or equipment to make these improvised bombs, explosives. They're killing our troops. Um, but we don't want to go to a war with Iran, but we just want to let people know that, that uh, the government of Iran is, is uh, escalating this war. So it's, I don't know, the timing of that is, is very suspect, too. Well, of course it is. I mean, it's just like all of the evidence that Bush put out there and his people put out there before invading I- Iraq. It was all bullshit, basically. You know, they're they're providing the evidence, and of course our compliant media doesn't actually check any of these facts. They just report it as if it's fact. Although, uh, I think it was yesterday, the day before, that they did call Bush out on that Iranian evidence, and I think he backed down uh, on the, uh, the claim that Iran was providing all of these I- IEDs or whatever they're called to uh, to Iraq. Yeah, I think his quote was something like, well, it doesn't matter if we have the evidence. I mean, what, what's worse, that the government knew or the government didn't know? So he's saying it, it doesn't matter if they knew or they didn't know, but we have evidence. It's all crap. You know, he's saying nothing. He's saying that we don't need evidence, but when we have evidence, we'll give it to you. If you call us on the evidence, we'll deny the evidence, but that's actually making our point, too. It's, it's triple speak almost. Yeah, well, where's Orwell when you need him? <laughs> Yeah. I you know the the thing that that uh I wish would happen is that all the troops would come out but we know that that's kind of going to be like pulling the the cork out of the champagne bottle. Things are going to I think quickly escalate if we pull our troops out quickly, but I think that we we definitely have to start bringing them home, you know, slowly and in a smart way. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And I definitely don't want to see the Iran thing escalated. I mean, I think Bush and his his hawk friends, you know, the the wicked right wing neocon warmongers, you know, are definitely going to do everything they can to try to uh, invade Iran. But we'll have to hope that the Democrats uh, grow some testicles, the men and the women, and um, pass a binding resolution. You know, <laughs> let's pass. Here's something, guys. Let's make this one binding. Yeah, how about you say that if if the troops are going to be combat troops, not support troops or not humanitarian type aid troops, you know, reconstruction troops, if it's if it's um, combat troops, I say that we limit funds. I mean, because that's what Congress can do. That's their power. They can't execute. They're not the executive branch. They can't make the plans, the war plans. But they can certainly say, well, we're not going to give you the, the checkbook to do it. Right. So I think they need to to exert their power. They're not exerting any power right now. They're, well, they're... hopefully that'll be the next step. You know, I I think this was just like I said, waiting in, getting their feet wet, letting the, their constituents know that they're there, and you know, then hopefully they can get a, a lot of phone calls and emails and letters from their constituents saying we agree, and then they'll have something to justify a binding resolution in the future. Look, they'll look at all these emails we got. There's one other thing I want to disagree with you on. Um, okay. There, there is one Democrat who does have very large testicles. Who? Hillary Clinton. Uh, well, at times. <laughs> when it suits her. <laughs> they don't fit in her suit. Well, with a skirt, though, is fine. No, I, I think that she's probably the only one who, who has that kind of uh, manly presence. Was there something specific? you were going to refer to about her having testicles or were you just speaking in the abstract terms? No, I'm speaking in abstract terms. I'm just saying though that, that that may be the reason why her candidacy has legs. You mean presidential candidacy? Yes. Well, I think the candidacy has legs. The electability, however, for (laughs) me is, is something entirely different. 
I'm I feel very confident she will uh you know become a uh, a real candidate and do okay in some of the um the primaries. I just I just don't think she's going to be there in the end. I also I also think that when when it comes down to it if she were to have a debate with Obama she'd lose because she just no matter what she is, she's not an orator. She's she's miles ahead of our president, but she's she doesn't have that charisma. <laughs> well, at least she never used the word strategery. <laughs> I don't think our president did either, but he's had even worse gaffes. Oh, man. Did you hear that Rush Limbaugh was nominated by some uh, right-wing think tank for the Nobel Peace Prize? Yes, I did. It's <laughs> like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in the world. It's the like guy's, me being nominated for an Emmy. <laughs> the guy's like one of the most deceitful, hateful people. I mean, starting with the Michael J. Fox thing that we talked about a few months ago and going back years, I read like 100 quotes online about these just awful, hateful things that he has said about African-Americans and foreigners and Mexicans and, you know, everything else. This guy is, I mean, it's a joke. To me, the idea that he would be nominated for, obviously, he's not going to win. He doesn't have an Ice Cube's chance in hell or uh, he doesn't have an Oxycontin's chance in Rush Limbaugh's file cabinet of, of uh, surviving <laughs> right. or medicine cabinet of surviving uh, or, or actually getting the Peace Prize. But, I mean, just the idea that he would be nominated, of course, is absurd. But, you know, the people who nominated him are wicked, wicked right-wing ideologues. So, I mean, it's not well, surprising. Of course, of course it's absurd because what he does really, when it comes down to it, has no consequence either uh, positively or negatively. He's he's a talk show host. He doesn't He doesn't do anything in terms of advancing peace. Right. I mean, well, I, I would say piece, I would say doesn't. I would say he has negative effects. You you said he has nothing in terms of positive or negative, but I think he impedes peace. But you know, well, I, I suppose he stirs the pot. Oh, he definitely <laughs> does. And I mean, the kind of people that listen to him. I mean, he's preaching to the choir anyway. I mean, I don't know. He's, I also I look at him as as a death metal band that uh, you know skinheads listen to. They just he's just reaffirming wacko beliefs you know so right it's not like he's actually doing anything or setting up foundations and funding things funding progress or impeding progress in, in any way he's he's just a mouthpiece a big mouthpiece yes filled with drugs <laughs> well hopefully not anymore hopefully he got that under control i mean you know obviously he's a hypocrite but you know we don't want to see him uh we don't wish him harm we, yeah we I, I wish no malice on anyone well Okay, yeah, no one. <laughs> you had to think about that? Well, you know, the people I would wish malice, mal- malice on are, are actually dead now, so it's... You mean Anna Nicole Smith? No, God, no. She's, she's... What did she do to you? Nothing, but that's just it. I mean, I'm so not interested. Okay. All right, then on that note, let's play some a more note. songs? You want to do a tune? These guys yeah. we've played before. Let's check it out.
So what do you think of that one, John? Funny stuff. I really like that track. Nautical theme because it's... Jonas Grumby is the name of the skipper, and then they've got an Aquaman tan from Living Underwater. Yeah, the song's got a real quirky hook. I really like this guy's vocal style and his quirky songwriting style. I don't have the CD in front of me. I, I, I'll have to talk about his name, the chief songwriter, uh, next week. But yeah, I really like these guys, and I, th- I think that's a great line. I've got an Aquaman tan from Living Underwater. They they do have a camp factor to them. I could see them playing live wearing smoking jackets or something. Actually, I'll have to show you the CD because I'm not sure, but I think he actually is the uh, the bearded singer lead guitar guy is wearing like a velvet smoking jacket or something in the photograph. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, I think he is. I'll, 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 I'll bring the CD the next time I come to your house, which will hopefully pre- be pretty soon so we can do a show to our normal world-class audio standards. Yeah, and we've got um, we've got one contractor coming in. I've got two contractors doing bids, so that uh, I can decide you know who can do it the cheapest. You know that insurance money things can well, only he, go so far. Well, you know what John Glenn said. I can't believe I'm sitting on top of a rocket that was built by the lowest bidder. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Fortunately, there's going to be no RP one rocket propellant in your house anytime soon. So the lowest bidder is, is probably going to do a good job. Yeah, I got one coming tomorrow, one coming next week, and maybe. Well, I doubt that anything's going to be done by next week, but maybe in a couple of weeks there there will be some progress. Yeah, we might have to do another one of these shows. Or maybe we could do a remote thingy like we were talking about. Yeah, that would be fun. I think Kirsten would like that because she was uh, lobbying in favor of it. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, she posted a non-binding resolution on our website asking us to do a, a remote show. Well, I can vote in favor for it because that means I don't have to do anything. There's, there's no, there's no uh, bindingness to it. Well, we could use the cool new portable recorder we got with the new two gig card. The on cheap sale, two gig card on sale on the uh, the Wednesday's nor'easter slash Valentine's Day sale at Best Buy. <laughs> you think they're going to market that storm as the Valentine's Day massacre? Well, they could. I mean, they certainly did have fun with it already. I saw. Hey, did yeah. you read my latest post on the blog? Did you even notice that? Because I know John actually doesn't actually read the blog. But did you see my post explaining about why there's no show last week? Yeah, you said something about Molly Ivins dying. Oh, yeah. wait, that was earlier. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Come on, I put a lot of effort when I was in Columbia writing that, that post. That was funny. Yes, you said, we are sorry to report there will not be an episode of BV this week for your listening torment. If you have been reading the blog, you will remember that John somehow angered Mother Nature and, and had some pipe-freezing, bursting issues in his home. Yep. The Fairfield Glassworks and Tape Dispensary Studio B is out of commission. Yep, pretty good. Nice one. Oh, come on, the uh, the Poseidon thing was was my favorite line. <laughs> well, plus the fact that I referenced the uh, the apparent grudge Mother Nature has with you, since this is not the first time the Fairfield Glassworks and Tape Dispensary Studios have been underwater. Yes, yes, there, there have been lots of water issues down there. So, you know, I saw a film by one of our favorite filmmakers and one of our favorite... who's our favorite? Well, not necessarily our favorite, but one of our favorites and one of our favorite uh, comedic actors, a former Saturday Night Live cast member, a guy by the name of Christopher Guest. His latest film, For Your Consideration, 2006 film. Oh, you saw that. Yeah, Munson showed it two weeks ago. They showed it the Friday before I left for Colombia. So what'd you think? I don't know. I, I don't think it's up to his normal Christopher Guestian standards. 
I mean, I thought it was okay. It had its camp, you know. I mean, certainly his films are going to be filled with camp. He's he surrounds himself by the the typical cast of characters we've seen in his past two or three films. You know, the uh, the Eugene Levies, the Catherine O'Hara's, the Parker Posey's, the Harry Shearers, and and Ed Begley, and and Jennifer Coolidge, Jennifer Coolidge, and Jane Lynch, that tall blonde, and yep. uh, Fred. Um, the really campy Fred Willard. Fred Willard. What is he doing in these films? I don't know. But I'll just tell you briefly what this film was about. It's kind of poking fun at the whole Hollywood thing. Christopher Guest plays a director who's directing a film called Home for Purim, which is some sort of Jewish holiday. <laughs> yes. Someone educate us on that. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. But, you know, the, the whole idea is that someone is coming home for Purim. And the uh, the father is played by uh, Shearer, the mother is Catherine O'Hara, and the daughter is played by Parker Posey, the perky Parker Posey. <laughs> and, Say that ten times. I fast. know. And then there's a son who, uh, I don't remember wh- what actor played the son, and I believe it was the son who was coming home for Purim. And then somebody starts spreading a rumor that the early reviews of this film and it's not even out yet but you know maybe somebody had snuck some dailies out or something but you know early reports say that these actors may be up for an academy award so it starts the whole early academy award buzz you kind of see the way the actors kind of comport themselves from then on and uh fred willard plays a guy who along with jane lynch that tall blonde who's in all of his films uh, a guy who hosts one of the Entertainment Tonight type shows. So then you start seeing all the actors showing up on these shows in, you know, with bold proclamations. Yeah, we hear you might win an Oscar and all that good stuff. And I'm not going to tell you whether or not anybody won the Oscars. But, you know, basically the, the film takes place in and around the studios. And we see the different actors interacting with the uh, guest who plays the director and, and interacting with the writers. And uh, I believe it's um, uh, Michael McKean plays one of the writers. And I don't remember who plays one of the other writers. And we come to the moment of truth where they announce the Oscar nominations. And again, I'm not going to tell you whether any of the people in the film uh, get the Oscar nominations or not. And then in typical Chris Guest fashion, they cut to the six months later scene. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like like he did in um, A Mighty Wind. You know, six months later, the, the folksmen are playing at the Indian casino and Harry Shearer's character had the sex change. <laughs> I don't think he had the the whole change. I think that he just was in drag. Well, that could be too. But yeah, Chris Guest does his his classic six months later scene, and we kind of and uh, we, actually what ends up happening is during the film, the studio execs approach Chris Guest and the writers and say, you know what, the film is just too Jewish. We've got to change it. We can't. I can't really go with the home for Purim thing. And then when they do cut to the six months later thing. You see the actors going on like the Tonight Show type shows, and uh, they're plugging their new film, which is called Home for Thanksgiving. So. <laughs> Great. And I mean, again, in, in in Christopher Guest, I mean, when you're surrounded by these quality of comedic actors, and for those of you who don't know, most of the the lines and most of what's said in Christopher Guest's film is improvised. They kind of storyboard the scenes, and they kind of know what direction they're going to go. But then from there. You know, action and it's all improvised. So when you have people of this this comedic talent all on screen together, you know it has its funny, truly funny, campy moments. But as a as a as a complete film, I don't know. It really didn't work for me. It was all right. You know, it wasn't up to the a mighty wind, uh, best in show type standards. Well, the the previews that I saw, it kind of looked like there was maybe higher production value, but not so much substance. Whereas the 
Best in Show, which is one of my favorite comedic films of late, that had pretty low production value, production quality, that is, but the content and and the acting and the improvisation was just phenomenal. Yeah, well, I, and I mean, if and that makes sense if you think about it. The more popular Chris Guest's films get, the more budget he's going to get, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Hollywood's recognizing him for what he is. I mean, look what happened uh, after A Mighty Wind. One of those songs was nominated for Best Song. Right. Uh, that uh, Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, that song sung by uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, which is a really sweet song written by Michael McKean. And uh, they actually performed it live at the Oscars. I mean, that's really cool. So clearly, Christopher Guest as a director is making his imprint in the the Hollywood uh, scene. Yeah, but he's got to keep it real. Yeah, well, that's his problem. In this (laughs) film, he just didn't keep it real. But anyway, you know, I mean, I guess if you're a Chris Guest fan, you know, you'll probably want to see it or you probably already have. Um, Can I really, really recommend it as a great Chris Guest film? Nah, I really can't. You know, it's... it's, uh, it's minor. Uh, it's minor. Yeah, minor guest. It's minor guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the one film that I've got at the top of my queue, which I can't wait to get, is The Departed. Yeah, I want to see that. I want to see uh, the Iwo Jima film. I want to see both of those Eastwood films, actually. Yep. I want to see. Oh God, what was that film? That sort of macabre kind of film that made it onto everybody's top ten list. Oh, I can't think of it. Babel. No, I saw that. Did you see that? Not yet, no. Did you listen to my solo show? Not yet. <laughs> I, Rich, I've, I've been in chaos, man. Babble, Babble didn't really work for me. I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I don't even know what to think of it. I think, A, it should have been shorter, and they could have eliminated one of the subplots. But I don't want to get into Babble. We've probably got enough for a show here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll probably cut it short. Yeah, so anyway... <laughs> I guess that's a show. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the country. It's good to be back uh, doing a show here with John. I hate doing those solo shows. Yeah, I hate listening to those solo shows, as you can tell. Yeah, well, most people do. But anyway, you've been listening to the Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Hit our forum, even, bloodyveg.com slash forum. And uh, send us feedback. Email feedback, verbal feedback, whatever you want, to feedback at bloodyveg.com. And if we'll... you've got any reconstruction tips, I'll take them. That's right. And uh, I guess we'll catch you on the rebound, hopefully next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>